Hi friends, welcome to the Bible Project Daily Podcast. The project is, Lord willing, to work through the whole Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, over how many years it takes. Today we're returning to finish off this study of chapter 32 of Genesis, where we're looking at the story of the coming back together of Esau and Jacob, and we're asking ourselves the question of what it can teach us about preparing for danger. A quick reminder, if you'd like a transcript of any of these podcasts, there's always one available in the audio, in any audio version of this podcast. doesn't matter where you're receiving it from, Apple, Google, whoever, Spotify, SoundCloud, doesn't matter where you're getting it from, there'll always be a link through to the host which, where the podcast hosts, hosted the audio version on the Buzzsprout website, and within that you'll find a transcript with notes and links to all sorts of otherwise you can connect to my ministry. What's worth mentioning is all these talk totally put in the public domain without copyright. They're there for you to do what you want to do with them, to take them, to use them, to prepare your own material, or just to share them in any way that you want. So anyway, that's it. Thank you so much for joining me. I really do hope you're benefiting from our time together looking at the Bible, and I'll see you right back at the end. But for now, let's jump in to the main text and the main study. So friends, as we pick up and continue, we're covering the verses of Genesis chapter 32 from where we left last time to the end of the chapter. And I'd just like to quickly remind you of just whereabouts we're up to. And if you remember, Jacob is now back in the land of Canaan and he hears that his brother's coming out to meet him. Well, on the surface, that sounds like good news. But then he discovers that Esau's brother is bringing 400 men with him to meet him. So Jacob is becoming afraid because he thinks his brother might be coming to kill him and maybe not just kill him, but to kill his entire family as well. So his initial practical response is he initially divides his family into two camps and then he prays. So we're going to pick up the story in verse 13 and see what he does next. Where it says, So he lodged there that same night and took what came to his hand as a present for Esau his brother, two hundred female goats and twenty male goats, two hundred ewes and twenty rams, thirty milk camels and their colts, forty cows and ten bulls, twenty female donkeys and ten foals. Then he delivered them to the hand of his servants, every herd by itself, and said to his servants, Pass over before me, and put some distance between successive droves. So he planned, he prayed, and now the third thing he's doing is he's going to send Esau some presents. He has a plan, he prays, and now he's sending some gifts out with his servants. Now there's a lot of animals here. I think I counted 580. Don't you count? I've already done the adding up. But he hands these these huge amount of animals over to his servants and he says, take them and go out and meet Esau, but have the animals driven in front of you. And if we pick it up again, verse 17, it will tell us, and he commanded the first one saying, that's the servant, when Esau, my brother, meets you and asks you, saying, to whom do you belong and where are you going? Whose are these in front of you? In other words, the animals. Then you will say, they are your servant Jacob's. It is a present sent to my Lord Esau. And behold, 
he is also behind us. So he commanded the second and a third and all who followed the droves, saying, In this manner, in other words, in this way, you should speak to Esau when you find him. And also say, Behold, your servant Jacob is behind us. For he said, I will appease him with the presents that go before me, and afterwards I will see his face. Perhaps he will accept me. So the presents went on before him, but he himself lodged that night in the camp. So he tells all the servants to say the same thing in the hope that this will appease Esau with the goodwill offerings that he's sending them, which are going to keep appearing one lot after another. So the presents go out at night and Jacob stays in the camp and sleeps at night. So very simply, let's look at what's going on here. Now there's this huge group of animals and he divides them into, well, we know at least three groups and he puts a distance between each groups and then he says to the servants, head out and when you meet Esau, which you will, and Esau asks who you are, you must say, my Lord, this is a present from your brother. This means Esau will get a section of the animals, uh, about a third probably, and then he'll travel a little further and he'll meet a second group and then a third group and then so on and so on. So it's very clear he's doing what we would today call showering Esau with presents. And that's why in verse 25, it tells us his motivation. He's doing this in the hope because he says, I will appease him with these presents. So the point of verses 13 to 21, which we've just covered, is everything he's doing is to make Esau more well disposed, shall we say, to Jacob. Then he says at the end of this section of verse 20, he says, perhaps he will accept me, which not only means by accepting, it also, of course, means that then perhaps he won't actually kill him. So this is the final part of Jacob's three-part plan in response to the danger he feels he is facing. He prays, he trusts the Lord at the same time, but he acts responsibly and he tries to make things right by offering these gifts. So this tells me that doing something responsible alongside exercising faith, they're not incompatible. You know, sometimes it's right to do both things. He had a plan, first of all, he then prayed, and then he trusted the Lord. And at the same time, in doing that, he was doing everything he could to make peace and avoid further conflict in the future. So then, how should we handle points of conflict, or even for us, potential points of danger that we might have to face? Well, I would say, this is a good template. Do it just like this. Firstly, have a plan in case danger comes. And secondly, of course, the thing is we should do is we should pray. Hopefully you already know that. Pray, indeed, but sometimes the plan might involve and the, the response, the follow-on from the prayer, might involve you giving the other party what they want. If you find yourself facing potential one-to-one -one conflict in the future, I wonder if you've ever simply asked the other person what you can do to make things right. That sometimes will resolve a whole situation and a whole potential area of conflict. But that's not the end of this story. We'll get to that in a minute. But let's in the meantime continue in the text, picking up again in verse 22. It's a long chapter, so we're cracking on through it at a pace. 
and it tells us, And he arose that night and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his eleven sons, and crossed over the ford of Jabbok. He took them, sent them over the brook, and sent over what he had. Then Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. A man? That's just suddenly appeared in the text. What's this about? Now, in my Bible, I note that the word man is capitalized. So, all right, this is suggesting that this is not just an ordinary man. That's why it's capitalized in almost every translation of the Bible in that way. So, who is this guy? Well, as you can imagine, if you go in and read all the commentaries, they go into a sort of overdrive trying to explain exactly what's going on here. Some say it is the Lord, and others say, no, that this is a real man. In a lot of the translations, it will say that he wrestled with an angel, and that angel is the angel of the Lord. But I want to tell you what Jacob said about this wrestling match himself. Now, we'll get there in a minute, but if we jump ahead in the story and drop in at verse 30, Jacob, in recounting it, says, So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, It was because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. So his interpretation was he was wrestling with the Lord, with the Lord God at that point. Now, you know I've pointed out that there's this figure that appears in Genesis from time to time called the angel of the Lord, which many believe is actually the Lord himself. And I would say, yes, absolutely, I agree with that. This is an Old Testament appearance of the pre-incarnate Christ, a Christophany, if you want to use one of those big theological words. I think that's what's going on here, and so do many, many other Bible teachers. So let's see what's going to happen when he meets the Lord and what's going to go on in verse 25. The story picks up. Now when he saw that he did not prevail against him, he touched the socket of his hip, and the socket of Jacob's hip was out of joint as he wrestled with him. And he said, Let me go, for the day breaks. But he said, I will not let you go until you bless me. So here's Jacob here, with his hip out of joint, hanging on to the Lord and wrestling with him. So apparently they've been wrestling all night, haven't they? But the question that that raises in my mind is this. Surely the Lord would have enough strength to overpower Jacob, right? The Lord wrestling with him would be like a grown man wrestling with a four-year-old child. But sometimes when a father wrestles with a child, he lets the child get the best of him for a minute, doesn't he? Just because the father has all the power doesn't mean he has to use it all the time. And it doesn't mean he will use it all the time with us. So Jacob is not giving up. He just battles on and he says, I'm not going to let go of you until you bless me. And by the way, a further clue of who this person is, it does state very clearly that whoever it is, they have the power to bless Jacob, the power to do that, right? So that's another thing that points to the fact that this angel of the Lord is who I've said he is. Anyway, continuing in verse 27, it says, So he said to him, What's your name? And he said, Jacob. And he said, Your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have struggled with God and with men, and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked, saying, Tell me your name, I pray. And he said, What is it that you ask about my name? And he blessed him there. So he says 
to him, what's your name, okay? I'm going to bless you. But he asks him what his name is, and he replies, Jacob. And he said, your name should no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. And he says, it is because you have struggled with God and men and prevailed. That's why that name is going to be given to you. And it continues, so Jacob called the name of the place Peniel. For I had seen God face to face, and my life is preserved. And just as he crossed over Penuel, the sun rose on him, and he limped on his hip. Therefore, to this day, the children of Israel do not eat the muscle in the shank which is in the hip socket, because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip. Now that custom, by the way, is not repeated and carried forward into the Mosaic law. The children of Israel did this as a memorial meal and they obviously did it at least until the time of the book of Genesis being written but it was not perpetuated past this point or ratified under the Mosaic law going forward. Now this is a very famous passage of scriptures and I could have approached it as a separate unit in its own right. And everybody, a lot of people know about it and everybody seems to agree that what is going on here is Jacob is wrestling with the Lord and saying, I'm not turning you loose, Lord, until you bless me. And the application of that is that we are indeed called to wrestle with the Lord. And how we do that in the modern context is in prayer and we should do the same and not stop until the Lord blesses us. Now in the process he got his name changed. Jacob was his original name and just by the way do you remember what that name meant? It was a long time ago but when he and his twin brothers were born was when he was named. They were twins and he came out holding on to the heel of his brother so the name Jacob, which was given to him, actually meant heel grabber. But he's now had his name changed to Israel, which means God is upright. But the story doesn't end there, and there's more to say, and it will continue on into chapter 33, which we'll be looking at uh, next time. But at this point in the narrative, he's faced danger, and because of that, he made a plan to protect his family. He prayed and he offers presents to try and avoid any potential conflict with his brother. And then he has this situation where he wrestles with the Lord all night until the Lord agrees to bless him. And the text says that God did indeed bless him. So don't forget that he blessed him. And at that point, he changed his name to Israel. So I want to conclude by breaking down any possible application that we might be able to apply about this into just some small bite-sized pieces. And I'll do that by asking us to consider the fact of have we ever faced danger and what should we do when we face danger? Or perhaps have we ever just made people or an individual angry or hostile with us? Well, what I believe we should do what Jacob did. And the first thing he did was to pause and make a plan. He developed a plan for his protection and for the protection of those that he loved. Now some say that planning indicates that you're not trusting the Lord and I completely disagree with that point of view. I don't think there's anything anywhere in the Bible that says that you should not practically do things and plan to do things practically whilst at the same time trusting in the Lord for the outcome and I think that's what Jacob does here. So firstly he prays and he prays a lot. This whole chapter is about prayer 
But in the process, he has also some thought out plans as well. And that's what we should be doing. Planning and praying. Now, the second thing I want to say is he developed the plan, but throughout it all, he deeply maintained his desire for God's blessing. He wasn't just trying to plan his way out of danger. He wanted God to bless him. And he was so so vociferous about that. He wanted it so much to the point where he wrestled with God all night to get it. Now, the reason I want to go over this again is I want to make this point very clear. Jacob had to wrestle with God to the point where he had to walk with a limp for the rest of his life. And I suppose then that raises the question, do we have to battle with God to the point whereby we will be marked for life in order for God to bless us? Well, that may be true for some of us because of our difficult natures, but the answer is not necessarily And I would point to the fact that neither Abraham or Isaac needed to go to this point to do this. But the point is Jacob, because of his character and his personality, he had to wrestle with the Lord. But the point is he still remained and still had a deep desire to receive God's blessings. And he kept throughout it saying, Lord, I will wrestle with you until you bless me. So very clearly, in his own way, Jacob was dependent on the Lord, and he was so from the very beginning. And in this situation, he prayed, Lord, he said he felt he needed the Lord's protection. He asked the Lord to protect him, and he asked the Lord to bless him, whilst at the same time recognizing he was not actually worthy of receiving that blessing. And when facing danger, he prayed. And the type of prayer that he prayed, I can't think of a more perfect prayer for us if we're facing danger. Because ultimately it recognised who God is and who he was before a holy God. It recognised that God was the sovereign choice in all and any blessings that he would receive. And it also recognised the fact that he himself had no claim that he could make upon it. It was simply promising what the Lord had already promised. Even in his prayer and his petitions, he remembered the fact that he had not earned it, simply that God had promised it. Now, we need to remember that Jacob was a deceiver. He was a scoundrel at times, even an out-and-out liar. Yet, we see him here reach a point in his life where he comes to the Lord and says, Lord, I'm not worthy, but because you have promised these things to me, I'm still hanging on. So, I'd like to close by saying, not only did he have a plan, he deeply desired God's blessing and he remained determined that he would receive it. He wouldn't let go of God. He said, I'm not quitting. He wrestled all night with the Lord, saying, I'm not quitting. If, even if you knock my hip out of joint, I'm not quitting. I'm going to constantly badger you. I'm going to constantly wrestle with you, Lord, until you answer me and bless me in the way you said you would bless me. And that's what's going on here. He said, Lord, I want your blessing, and I am determined to get it, even if it takes all night. That is what we also need to do I believe we need to wrestle with the Lord which for us will usually mean prayer now you may remember at the opening of the section I mentioned this guy George Muller and how he was has been held up in church history and modern church history as a great example of prayer there's a story that at one point in his life George Muller prayed for five of his close friends after a few months one of them came to know the Lord 
Ten years later, another was converted, but it took a quarter of a century for the third man to get saved, and 25 years after that for the fourth. But Muller never gave up. He persisted in prayer for all of his life. The last of those five people he prayed for, are you ready for this? It took 52 years before he came to faith, and that event only occurred a few days after George Muller's own funeral. And you know what, friends? We all need to do this. We all need to pray earnestly and consistently. Pray, 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 pray. All week, all month, all year, every year. Pray for a decade. Pray for half a century. Pray for all our lives if necessary. And pray like Jacob prayed. Say, Lord, I'm determined that you are going to do what you promised to do in my life. And I'm going to trust that you will do it because I know who you are and I know your character. And I'm going to keep praying until you bless me. Amen. Okay, friends, that's it for today. Thank you so much for joining me. I'd like to remind you that there's an ability to access lots more teachings and resources of mine, both through the episode notes page of the podcast and also on my Patreon website. It's on there. I put some resources which are exclusively available to my patrons, including some discipleship courses that I'm putting on there alongside uh, some talks I do in secular uh, environments or or maybe even preaching uh, events that I take part in. By becoming a patron, you are supporting the and enabling the Daily Bible Project to go on the internet and to stay on the internet as a free resource to anybody who would want it. Another useful thing to say is that if you enjoy and appreciate this work in any way, then please share it and like it, because that's how it gets uh, disseminated across the internet and more and more people see it. And if you want to receive it every day, just click on the subscribe button, uh, either in the podcast or on the video, and that way you'll make sure it appears every day for you to see. But anyway, I do hope you've enjoyed our time together again today. I just want to thank you so much. I really couldn't do this without you. I'm so encouraged that so many people listen to this message every day. And I know I'm benefiting from having the Bible as part of the rhythm of my daily life. And I really hope and trust you are too. And please pray for me uh, that I may be encouraged and emotionally, spiritually, and in every way resourced to continue to do this work and see it to its fruition. But that's it for now. I hope to see you right back here tomorrow where we'll pick up in the next chapter. But other than that, it's bye for now from the Bible Project Daily Podcast.